0: Well, here we are, Sunday morning. The Sunday after Easter. My wife and I were talking this week, you know, and, and this question came up. What do you do after the resurrection, you know? You know, it's like, because the way we think, it's like, how do you top that? <laughs> but you know what? God did. He had something for after And so we want to get into that today, because what Jesus had for after the resurrection is exactly what he wanted the disciples to be plugged into, and it's exactly what he wants us to be plugged into. And so we want to get right into it today and just see what God has for us, let him speak to our hearts and enable us to be exactly what he wants us to be in this period we call the church age. We're here. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, God, this is a great time to live it's a great time to serve the Lord. I know there's some darkness around us, and we have our problems, and our world's in a mess. I get all that, but has not it always been? I mean, just just read the Bible, you just look back in history, and it just seems like there's always been darkness and negativity and sin, and there's always been problems, and there's always been the gloom and doomers, and boy, the devil's always been around, hasn't he? I mean, it's just stuff's to always been there. But thank God, in the midst of it all, he's been there too. And because of Him, this is a great time to live. It's a great time to serve God and be a witness for Him. And I'm so glad we can. Luke chapter 24, if you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to begin in verse 44. I'm going to pray, and we'll find verse 44 and begin our reading right there. All right, so let's pray together. Lord, how we look to Your Word today, this morning, and we just ask for direction. We pray, dear Holy Spirit, that You'd speak to our hearts. Lord, that you'd speak through our thoughts, that you'd show us what we need to be mindful of today. Teach us from your word. Grow us, shape us, Lord. You're the potter and we're the clay. Lord, just like that old potter's wheel, we pray you'd just apply your hands to our hearts today and just shape us, Lord. Mold us and make us so that we can be the people you'd have us be. Because, Lord, we know without you, oh, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we thank you in advance, knowing that you're going to work that you're going to speak, and we're rejoicing as we anticipate your presence and your direction in the word today, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 44, the Bible says, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it is behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Wow, what a powerful verse of scripture. I want to call your attention, if I may, to verse 49. Jesus said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. I want to preach a message on that thought this morning, and I'm just going to title it Terry. Terry, thank you, you may be seated. We find this is an interesting time period. And as we stated a moment ago, how do you top the resurrection? Well, Jesus said, I've got something for you. And I don't know if you consider it topping the resurrection or not, but it was certainly a blessing that was coming. And he was sending it to them. I send the promise of my Father. What was that? It was the Holy Spirit. You see, we're watching the chronology of time, and we're, we're about to, to capture a moment in history. This is a historical event that was going to happen once. Jesus had come. He had maintained his earthly ministry, died on the cross, was buried, and risen again, now about to ascend to the Father And he said to the disciples, when I ascend, remember he said, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I go to the Father, then I send who? The Comforter. The Holy Spirit. Right? He's going to indwell you. That's what Jesus taught them. So he said, I'm about to send the promise of my Father. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus ascends to heaven. In their presence, they watch him. But Jesus said, wait a minute. Don't go preach to all the nations yet. Wait. Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from the Holy Ghost. So Jesus ascends and then later he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell them. That happens just in a couple of chapters later. Well, actually a book later. Our books are in order. We're reading the end of Luke. All of the Gospels talk about the same events in the same time period. So technically, you would turn the page and be in the book of Acts. This is Luke's version of the account. But the next thing that would happen is we would go into the book of Acts and we would see the acts of the apostles, the acts of the church. Yes, yes, yes. But primarily the acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come in in this context, in this time period, and begin what we now know as the church age. This was the time period that was overlooked by the prophets. They looked from one mountain peak of time to the other, and the next mountain peak they saw was the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they prophesied the second coming. So when Jesus came on the scene, the disciples thought they were going to be in that time period after the church age. The church age then would be that valley in between. The time when God would do a work outside of Israel in the world. And the prophets didn't see that as they prophesied and proclaimed the second coming of Christ. So the disciples rightly thought he was coming to set up his kingdom. No, 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 no. That's the millennial kingdom. That's coming. But this coming of Jesus, remember he rode into Jerusalem. On a donkey. Remember what we said the donkey represented? Peace. He wasn't coming to establish his kingdom. He was coming to present himself as a sacrifice, a peace offering. He was the peace offering to God on behalf of man. He died for our sins. And then he rose from the grave, proving that he had power over sin, death, and the grave. The devil, right? He paid the price of sin, giving him authority to forgive. And so now when God forgives our sins and he saves someone, it's on the merit and the basis of the sacrifice of Christ so that it's legitimate, it's legal. So a legal transaction happens in heaven when a person comes to Christ to be saved. That's what happened when I got saved and when you got saved. By the way, that's what happened when Old Testament saints got saved. But the sacrifice hadn't been made yet. So they went to a place called paradise, Abraham's bosom. Remember reading about that? And when Jesus died on the cross, he set all of those captives free. And they were able to go to heaven after that because of his sacrifice. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the promise of the Father that the Holy Spirit would come, and from here on, he would indwell the believer. And that's what happened in the book of Acts. You saw those images that they described as cloven tongues of fire, or in other words, split. The word cloven means divided. Divided tongues of fire. So it was some kind of an image that settled on the apostles. That was the Holy Spirit coming down. When the Holy Spirit came down on the Lord Jesus, he came down, and then they said, in likeness of a dove. Remember that? They're just using words to describe what it kind of looked like. That's what we do when we don't have words. (laughs) We say, well, it was kind of like this. And we pick something that's close. That's what they were doing. The book of Revelation is full of stuff like that. And we have to use likenesses for the things of God because often these are things we've never seen before. How do you describe something you don't know what it is? You only have to compare it to something you know. The disciples were now receiving the Holy Spirit and in the book of Acts they set forth and they, they went from being cowards hiding in the upper room to brave soldiers of Christ preaching the gospel in the open town square. Thousands of people were coming to Christ. The Bible says they were added to the church daily, such as should be saved. The magistrates and religious rulers were were trying to beat them and silence them. They commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus. The disciples said, we can't help but speak the things we've seen and we've heard. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And when they were beaten and persecuted and when they suffered for serving the Lord, they said, thank God we were counted worthy. Wow. What made them that way? What changed them from hiding cowardly in the upper room to boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus to turning the world upside down as was said about them? these foolish and unlearned and ignorant men. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the power of God within them. You know, the Bible says we have that. But that's important. God working in them and through them to accomplish not their work, but God's work. Do you know ministry work is God's work? Do you know ministry work is unlike any other work? It's not an assembly line, you know, where they build cars and put nuts and bolts together and pieces come together, and at the end, you get a car every single time. But when you're doing ministry work, you're doing God's work. It's work in the lives of people. You know, you can preach the gospel. Someone could be in this room, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get saved every time. It doesn't mean they're going to grow in Christ. That's why someone can sit in church for 10, 20, 30 years. And still be a baby Christian on the inside. And still not understand the things of God. Did you notice? The Bible says that Jesus opened their understanding. You know, we get that understanding from him. If we don't spend time with him, there are things we may never get. Even though it's written in the Bible. So Jesus said, hey guys, this work is so important. You know what I need you to do? I need you to tarry. This came after the resurrection. The resurrection was a glorious event. It was the power of God. But before he wanted to launch them forth with the news of the resurrection, he said, hold on. There's something you need. Wait for it. You know, in our culture, in our day, we don't place a lot of value in waiting. As a matter of fact, it's one of our least liked and least favorite things to do. We hate waiting, right? We don't like going to the doctor. We don't like standing in line. The waiting room is what we call it. As a matter of fact, there's some people even write books about, you know, periods in your life where it seems like you're in the waiting room. Oh, nobody likes that place. You know why? Because we don't like to wait. But sometimes God does his greatest work in the waiting room. Sometimes that duration of time that we think is totally pointless and worthless is where God is doing his greatest work. Maybe for them, maybe for some it's the oven where God's just God's just baking all those ingredients together, just letting everything settle, just letting everything formulate, just letting it take shape. God works in our hearts and minds in that time period. And he's now telling the disciples, hey, you just need to tarry. And so I want to speak on that thought, tarrying today, tarrying. You know, there's some things that we need to learn to wait. There's things that that we need to wait for. There's things that we need to seek out. You see, God wasn't telling them to tarry just so they could be sitting there. God wasn't saying, you need to wait just so they could let some time pass. God was telling them to tarry so that something very valuable, something important could happen during that time while they were present and there. God said, I need you to be in this place so that certain things can happen. You see, because the Holy Spirit's coming. And I need you here in in the right spot so you can receive what he has. And if you want to be effective and powerful as a servant of God, as a born-again believer, then you too, you need to tarry and receive what God has for you so that when you go forth, you go forth in his power, not in your power. Because the Bible says, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's how things are done. In God's work. You know, you and I, we need to tarry in this matter of Bible reading. We need to spend a little time. We need to hit the pause button. And we need to let some things go by. We need to hit pause on life and pause on activities. We need to hit pause on some friends. We need to hit pause on that cell phone. We need to hit pause on that internet. And we need to give God some time. And we need to open his word. I don't care if you read it on your phone or the computer or if you read it uh, with a literal book like this, but you need to read it. We need to tarry in the word. Notice the disciples had some of that. I want you to look at verses 44 and 45. We read them a moment ago, but look how important this is to our passage. Here, Jesus, it says in verse 44, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. You know, we don't usually think of reading the Psalms and reading about Jesus, but we are because there's some symbolisms there. There's some, there's some chapters that are written that, that really actually describe Jesus and either what he has done or what he will do. Very powerful. And the next verse says, this is when, uh, or excuse me, verse 40, 45 says, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Hey, let me tell you something. That is a Bible class I would have liked to be in. Right? You know, one day we're, gonna, one day we're actually going to do it. We're going to sit at Jesus' feet. He's going to teach us. Man, that's going to be better than any sermon you ever heard down here. Good. So that's what he was doing. But in that lesson, what did he do? He reached back and he said, hey, remember that word I shared with you? And he pulled it up to the surface, right? And you know, God wants to do that kind of work in your life. But first they had to hear the word. In order for him to open their understanding, they had to have the word. The word was shared and then it was brought up in a reminder and then boom, the, the, then the light came on. And you know what, if if we don't ever spend time in God's word, how do we expect him to open our understanding? How do you expect to get closer to God without his word? We don't have the physical presence of Jesus like they did. We can't go sit in his lap. We can't put our arm around him. We can't can't pray by talking to him and seeing him visibly like they did. The only contact we're going to have with the Lord is through his word. Right? How valuable is that time? And you know what? When we enter into our reading time, when, when we read the Word of God, we don't need to read it like the newspaper, just kind of scan and catch the highlights. No, we, we need to slow down, and we need to really thoughtfully, carefully, prayerfully, we need to read it thinking, what does this mean to me? What's God saying to me? Right? What can I do with this? What does God want me to do with this? And when we read the word, we need to read it allowing the word to speak to us. Somebody said it like this. It's, it's not so much of how much of the Bible do you read, but how much of you does the Bible read? Whew, that's why James said reading the Bible is like looking in a mirror. And he compared it to a mirror. You don't look in a mirror and then go away and forget what you saw. No, not if you're like most of us. We look in the mirror and whoa, whoa I mean, we start. We've well, we got to fix that, right? Why, well, when we look into God's word and we see pride, we look into God's word and we see anger, we look into God's word and we see wrong motives and intentions, right? Carnal desires. We need to fix that. We need to say, oh, man, Lord, Lord, help me, right? So the word makes a difference in our life. Look at verses five through eight, the same chapter. Back up a page. And notice the Bible says, And as they were, were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? What are they doing? They're reminding them of, of the word, saying the Son of Man must be delivered of the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day and risen again. Look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. Oh yeah. He told us that. You ever had that moment happen? Have you ever been, been thinking? You know, maybe you were caught up in, in life and stuff was going on. And then, bing, the Bible just came to your mind. Something you heard in Sunday school. Maybe a message or, or, or a verse you read. Maybe that morning even. Comes back to your mind. And God uses that. To show you what to do. That's what was happening here. God was trying to show the disciples what they should be doing. Guess what? We're leading up to what's coming next. And they should know that. Why? Because of his word. Remember what he said? Hey, guess what? You can't remember it if you never heard it in the first place. So we've got to take time to get in the word. This book is more important than life itself. And if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we've got, we got to tarry. We've got to pause. And we've got to make a little time to spend right here just letting God speak to us. Just getting familiar with what God said. With what God wants. Finding out what God values. So that when we get up and go do life, we can do it his way and we can be in his will. You know, sometimes I'm afraid we, we just miss the, some of the basic stuff. We have this desire, we want to live for God, we want to serve God, we want to do his will. But somehow, we're going to totally bypass his word, we're going to do it without him. <laughs> no, friend, what did Jesus tell the disciples? He said, without me, you can do Nothing you remember, that's when they all got in the boat and went fishing. These professional fishermen, right? Look, these, these guys run around with bass trackers and all this stuff today, man. They, they got all this technology. Look, they didn't have nothing on the disciples. They knew where to go to find those fish. They didn't have a bass boat and a tracker, and they didn't have a trolling motor, but they knew how to fish. Anybody knew how to catch fish, they knew how to catch fish. So can you imagine how shocked they were when they fished all night? And they didn't catch, not one, not one. And the next morning, children, have you any meat? The Lord standing on the shore. He'd probably been watching them all night. No, he said, cast your net on the right side and you shall find. They probably thought, man, who's this guy I think he is? Don't he know that we're, you know, we know what we're doing? One of them probably said, yeah, we, we did that two hours ago. Know, let's do it again. Let's, do, let's just give it a try. It won't hurt anything, right? Throw it out. Whew. All of a sudden, their net's so full, it's about to break. It's pulling the ship under. Whoa! <laughs> oh, man. If we just would remember... He knows, right? Why don't, we just, why don't we just do it his way? Why don't we just come to him and get what we need? You know, we want our life to be that kind of successful, but somehow, like the disciples, we think we can go do it without him. And the Lord reminds us, Mm-mm. not by might, not by power, not with your great education, nope. By my spirit, saith the Lord. That's how we get things done for God, through his strength, through his power. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He didn't say, I can do all things through my academic training in the Pharisee and religion. No, he said, I count all of that but dung that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me powerful word they remembered his words god's word's important in our life hey you know what we need to we need to tarry in prayer we need to pause so that we have time to pray and you know what if you want to be what god wants you to be you're gonna to have to make time for god's word you're gonna to have to make time for prayer luke 18 1 jesus gave an illustration one day because he was trying to teach us and this is what it says he gave this parable so that we could learn that men are always to pray and not faint. Because what will we do if we try to do things without prayer? We end up fainting. Because we're going to find that we can't do it without him. And therefore, we need to pray about everything. Now, we say we know that. But we don't do it. And that's why I was so intrigued when I read... A quote where this pastor said, and I don't remember his name, but he said, just because you know something doesn't mean you've learned it. Whoa, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, that was heavy, you know what I'm saying? Just because you know something doesn't mean you've learned it. Wow, and that's so true about prayer. Because we know all this stuff about prayer, but we don't do it, do we? Men ought always to pray. And not to faint. we got to pray about the stuff that we're thinking about. we got to pray about the stuff that we're planning. we got to pray about the stuff that we want to accomplish. We have to pray about the stuff that we call problems and hindrances in our life. we got to pray about those things. We need to pray for our friends. Pray for our family. We need to pray for our church members. We even need to pray for our enemies. We talk so much about prayer. But we spend so little time doing it. We need to tarry in prayer because prayer is one of the things that gives us what we need to do what God wants. We need to tarry in this matter of meditation. I should have said this one next, but meditation and the word go together because we have to think about what God tells us. By the way, meditation does go with prayer also because uh, I read, a, I read a, somebody writing about prayer and they were talking about prayer as talking to God, you know, and sometimes they were saying that, that in prayer God wants to talk to us too, but sometimes he can't. Because he can't get a word in edgewise because we're just going and going and going and then we're at amen and we're off to the races. But if prayer is talking to God, how many of you know that talking is communication and communication is supposed to be two ways? Communication, somebody explained it to me like this when I was younger. They said communication is kind of like volleyball. You know, you hit the ball to the other person and then they hit it back. What you, the, the idea is keep it going, right? So you hit it back to them. And then they hit it back to you. That means you don't talk 90 miles an hour and never give the other person a chance to hit the ball back to you, right? Boom. Otherwise, they're just watching you play. You ever thought about that? Sometimes... The Lord's just watching us play because we're talking about everything. And we don't ever pause to see if there's something he's trying to say to us. If you've been saved any length of time, you know that the way God often speaks to you is in your heart or your mind. God will speak to you by an impression, by a thought, an idea. And and sometimes it even feels like you're having a conversation with yourself. But if you give God time, he will enter that conversation and you'll end up actually talking to him. And it'll be the Lord putting those answers in your mind, answering you back. And you'll be having this go around with God as he straightens out the way you think. And as he gives clarity to the subject that you're looking at. And he helps you walk through that. And that's powerful. That's powerful. It doesn't happen, though, unless we tarry. Look at verse 27 in the same chapter. And I like how all of this, this chapter is just so full of this. In chapter 27 through 33, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I told you that was a good Bible class. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he was made as, as though he would have gone further. And they constrained him and said, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and said, the Lord is risen, we saw him. Oh, man, I bet that was a time. Hey, do you know, sometimes coming away from your time of reading the Bible and praying, sometimes it's that exciting. Because if you take a little time to meditate, and when we say meditate, we mean think on what you read. Think on what you're praying about and listen to see if God speaks to you. That's meditation. It's focused thought. And often when we, when we allow time to let the word of God soak in, when we understand it, we have time to think about it, we see that God speaks to us through that. And it's so exciting that in verse 32, they said, our hearts burned within us. They got so excited. That comes from being in touch with God. You know what? What made them so excited is he was here, right? Right? And, you know, sometimes your your quiet time, your devotions feel like that. Oh, man, I met with the Lord this morning, I'm telling you. Well, that happens when you connect with him in thought, when he speaks to your heart, when you pause and give him time to do that. It's so precious. It's so important. It's so vital to the Christian life. And you know what? So often we go from the resurrection and we want to go to Pentecost. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. He said, Terry first. We need to tarry in Bible reading, meditation, prayer. We need to tarry in our performance. I'm sure they wanted to get busy. I'm sure they wanted to please God. But they needed something before they set out to preach Pentecost. They needed a connection with God. They needed to be close to Him. They needed Him working in their life. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit, and they didn't have it. Now, look, we don't have to sit around waiting for the Holy Spirit to come fill us. He's already here now. Remember, we said that was a historical moment. That happened 2,000 years ago. After that, everybody who got saved got the Holy Spirit immediately like what they were waiting on. Let me show it to you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 12. The Bible says in Ephesians 1:12 that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in who? Christ. Then it says, in whom ye also trusted, after you'd heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were what? Sealed with that Holy Spirit, capital S, that's God's Holy Spirit, not yours, of promise. So the Bible's telling us here that when you trusted Christ, just like they did, After that, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That was a transaction that was completed all at the same time. Why? Because now we're in the church era. We're in that time period called the church age. It's the age of the Holy Spirit. It's now when it's not Jesus physically, personally here on earth working among men. Now it's the Holy Spirit in the world working among us. Remember Paul said, one day we're going to be raptured out of here. The Lord's going to call us home. Right, But he said, until then, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. He's the one who hinders sin, who hinders the work of the devil. He's holding back the work of the Antichrist, giving us a little more time, a little more time. One day it's going to be time's up, and God's going to call the saints home. And when we leave this world, guess who's going with us? This world will then be devoid, absent of the Holy Spirit's presence to hold back the tidal waves of sin. And I'm telling you, you haven't seen nothing like what's coming when he moved out of the way. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. Amen. You can stay if you want, but I'm going. (laughs) The Holy Spirit. So the Bible tells us when we received Christ, we were were, uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit of God at the same time. Praise God for that. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 30, same book, Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. That means the Holy Spirit, you, you got him when you got saved. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to keep him until you stand before God the day of redemption. All during your life, guess what? He'll never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. We have that presence of the Holy Spirit. So we're not not tarrying, waiting for him to come to us like they were. He's already here. We're tarrying to make sure we're in fellowship with him to make sure we're connected to him. Like Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Every branch that abideth in me. We want to abide in Christ. We want to make sure our fellowship is intact. We want to make sure that connection is made. Then when we go out, we can go in the power of the Holy Spirit and we can do our witnessing and we can do our service, our performance. We can live our Christian life and have his power as we do it. That's Pentecostal power. And you know what? We miss seeing God do great things often because we don't take time to tarry and make that connection first and then go forth in his power to do whatever it is we're trying to do. You know what? When we're tarrying, we're not just sitting. When we're tarrying, we're not just waiting on him to come. Remember, he's already come. So for us, what does this tarrying mean? It means that we need to tarry seeking him. It's a time of anticipation. We seek him in his word. We try to find him on every page. We seek him in our prayer closet. And we go to the Lord in prayer. We talk to him. And we give pause and we allow him to speak back. And we seek him in our meditation. We think about, we just sit. And maybe with a cup of coffee, in quiet, without the TV and all of that. And we sit and we just think about the passage of scripture we just read. And we think, now what does that mean for me today? How do I use that? What does God want me to do? And we allow God to guide our thoughts and speak to us. We're seeking Him in these moments. And we want to seek God. Let me show you what the Bible says about seeking Him. If you'll turn quickly. Look at Psalm 105. And we're almost done. Psalm 105. Just some great verses here. About seeking the Lord. Psalm 105 verse 4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. You know, so often we seek the hand of God. We want God to do things for us. But how often do we seek his face? How often do we seek who he is just to get to know him better? We need to work on that. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 5. Turn to the next book, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 28, in verse number 5. The Bible says, evil men understand not judgment. But they that seek the Lord understand all things. What does that mean? It means God gives us understanding. He's our source. And if we're going to be the kind of people that understand things about life and, and, and practical things, how the Bible applies to life and stuff like that, we got to seek the Lord for that. We've got to let him give us that. That's where we get it from. Look at Mark chapter 3. The Bible says even about the apostles, and this is the same plan for us. In Mark chapter 3, verse number 14, the Bible says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. And that he might send them forth to preach. Notice, our time being with him comes first. Because without that precious time, without getting connected with God and being filled with his power, you could go forth to preach and you'd have nothing worthwhile to say without spending time with Jesus. You know, the same thing is true for us. Without him we can do nothing. We're not going to be effective Christians. We're not going to be powerful workers of the Lord. We're not going to have this powerful spirit of God displayed in our life. If we don't take time to tarry for that, we need to tarry and we need to seek him until we're full, full of his love. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Full of his word. Psalm 119 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Full of his presence. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, "Thou wilt show me the path of life. in thy presence is fullness of joy. at thy right hand are pleasures, forevermore, full of His power." Romans 15:13 says, "Now the gospel of hope, or excuse me, now the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost." You know, when we tarry and we seek the Lord and we're full of his love, full of his word, full of his presence, full of his power, hey, then we can go forth and turn the world upside down. You know, that's what they said about the apostles. These foolish and unlearned men, they said, man, they're turning the world upside down. They're filling the whole world with his doctrine. Well, they had to know it first. They had to spend time with him first. Because without the resurrected power of God, they were scared hiding in the upper room. And so often, that's where we find ourselves. And if you want to get out of that, you're going to have to spend some time with God. Terry, let's bow in prayer.